Welcome to the Dorky Diva Show. I'm your host, Savannah. And I am Brian. And we are so excited for today's show because we have a very special guest joining us today. He is not only the co-host of the Forest cast, but he is the sole reason that Brian and I did not get the con crud at Celebration. The one, the only, the Purell King, Daniel Barry. Raylo, I'm looking for a Raylo. They're not going to fight, they're going to make out, yeah. Yeah, there we go. (laughs) Daniel, thank you for joining us today. Uh, Savannah and Brian, it is a honor and a privilege to be uh, a guest on the Dorky Diva program. I'm very excited. We're just thrilled that you saved our butts at Celebration because we decided on the show one day that you were actually the reason why we didn't get sick because you had a lanyard around your neck every day with hand sanitizer attached to it. And anytime we saw you, we would just grab it and use it. And we didn't even ask, or at least I didn't ask. I was just like, I'm using this. (laughs) Uh, That's all you need to know about Savannah. Yeah, I'm just like, I'm going to take your hand sanitizer. (laughs) Yeah, I heard that episode. That was like in the first two minutes of the show. Thank you. Yeah. (laughs) I didn't even think about hand sanitizer. Mm -mm -mm. I typically carry it, but I've never thought about putting it on a lanyard and just tying it to my neck the whole weekend. That's because we're not as smart as Daniel Barry. He is a genius. He is a musical genius. He is a Star Wars genius. And he is a Purell genius. He He just, wow. (laughs) I don't even do show notes, so this is uh, well, the newest episode in a series of my replacement interviews. Apparently, uh, welcome, Daniel. <laughs> apparently, Brian doesn't even read the material that we're discussing today. Okay, <laughs> you know what? That is true for this for this instance. And what material um, would that um, be, Savannah? Yeah, we are here today to talk about the book "The Making of Solo: A Star Wars Story" by Rob Bridow. And yep. Brian got this book last week. Uh, chose not to read it. Um. Okay, I feel like I'm against a corner. I did not choose not to read it. I looked at every single picture a lot, and I enjoyed it. That's doing at least half the work, Brian, because there are a lot of pictures and not so much text in this book, so... Yeah, it's Thank you. mostly a picture book. You know? I just have to say, this is hilarious because the last episode of the Dorky Diva show that we did, Brian and our guest Katie were making fun of me for not being a reader. Well, guess how many books I've read since we last did that episode? A full one and this book, okay? And I know this one is mostly pictures, but in addition to this, I also read an actual book. That's So that's a big thing that I think needs to needs needs an announcement. What? Guys, Savannah read a book. I read a book. Okay. Which normally is awesome. It's actually terrifying because she can now do anything and I feel intimidated by it because that was the one thing I had on her before was that I could read. <laughs> and uh, well, Savannah, Savannah learned how to read and now she's unstoppable. This is a cry for help. Uh, Daniel, please. Uh, 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 she read it. She read it. She read a book in a day. In a day, she read a book. 24 hours. I know. Wow. Mm-hmm. I know. I don't think I've ever done that. And I've read a lot of books. I read A New Dawn in a day. day. Did you? Most impressive. I don't know if I've ever read a book in a day. Now that I'm thinking. I've done like two days. Like a day and a half. But it was literally like 
within 24 hours Mm -hmm. of, hey, I got this book. I'm going to try to read it too. Hey, I just finished it to me being like, oh God, what have I done? Yeah. I even Um, stayed up past my bedtime to read and my bedtime is 830 because I'm a child. Yep. And, and she's old. Um, yep. Old. I'm very old. old. Woman. And I stayed Super up until old. 1030 reading one night. And I was like, wow, is this what adults do? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You've reached the whole new world. No, right? adults <laughs> run their own company and run their own podcast <laughs> and just generally kick ass. So that's right. And still find time to read a book in a day. Yeah. My God. I try. Yeah. It's, uh, it's getting a little tight. Can I just here. tell you, I was in love with this movie before Savannah sent me this book. And after I got the book and I looked at all the pictures intently and read about a 16th of it in a day. Um, <laughs> not bad. Not bad. It's a large I book. It is. I am extremely blown away by the amount of talent and creativity. And I mean, look, it's Lucasfilm. It's ILM. I, I should know better. But I guess we take it for granted because holy yeah. moly, guys. Yeah. Totally agree. That's that's why I wanted to talk about this book today because, um, I, I mean, it's kind of odd to talk about a behind-the-scenes book, I feel like, but there's so much work and effort and just amazing ingenuity put into these movies that we don't even understand like what went into it um Mm -hmm. and like recently with the wrap of game of thrones i've been watching a lot of game of thrones behind the scenes content and it made me realize like holy cow you know we we criticize stories so much and it's easy to do that but the actual work that goes into making these productions like solo like game of thrones things that are like really changing technology it's so easy to overlook but it's so important to recognize because this is what you know, like like we talk about on the podcast all the time, without the creation of Jar Jar Binks, we wouldn't really have CGI today. Like these true. different steps put into place are, you know, what's changing the world of cinematography. So um, I was really excited to read this book, but I, I mostly bought it because, A, it was on sale. So first of all, if you go on Amazon right now, <laughs> um, the book is usually $50, which is, you know, not cheap. Um, but it's definitely worth that price tag, but it's on sale right now for like $32, which is amazing for this book. I didn't even know this book existed, man. (laughs) Yeah. I don't even know exactly like when this book, um, came out because I didn't hear about it until recently. So I, I'm not sure if it came out recently or I just heard of it It recently. It was right after celebration. Okay. So it is Because they had copies there. That's a way to bury a book right there, isn't it? I yeah. know. Yeah, that's what when when uh, Rob Bradeau did that panel at Celebration. He's like, "Hey, there are copies here right now that you can get in. I'll sign them. Otherwise, next week it's out or something like that." Oh, see, so. I had no idea. Um, well, that's why I'm here. But if you don't know who Rob Bradeau is, he uh, was the creative executive director, uh, head of ILM, and he created this book. So he was um, the chief technology officer and VFX supervisor at ILM for almost five years. And then for Solo, um, he was asked to be a part of the the movie production. And his job on set was to document a lot of different scenes um, and everything that they did on the movie so that the visual effects team could have... um, like documentation of what they're recreating or what they're adding effects to or whatever. Um, So he felt like since he was already taking so many photos on set, why not continue to take more and capture moments between different cast members and things that people would generally have no idea about. 
um, and then compile a book. And his original idea was to take these photos and make like a little a little crew gift um, after the movie for all of the crew members. And uh, I guess he told Kathleen Kennedy about it. And she was like, well, if you're going to make a book, we're going to make an actual book. Like, you're not going to make this just for the cast. You're going to make an actual book. And she was a huge component of why this actually became a reality. And she really encouraged it. Um, So I just think it's so great that they actually ran with this idea because they make um, behind the scenes books for these movies all the time. But I feel like this one is very different because it's from one person's point of view. And Rob ends up interviewing a lot of different cast members and crew members in the book. But generally, everything is through his eyes. Like, all the photos are from his personal camera. Um, So, I have a ton of pages marked in this book that I want to talk about. Um, (laughs) Some people don't. Daniel. That's true. (laughs) Brian. (laughs) Although the picture of um, Bradford Young on page, well, we'll page 75 is life. Agreed. 75. Is that the one of him holding his kid? That's the one of him standing in the car. Oh, with his face. Yeah. Oh, we'll talk about that. <laughs> so happy so, for that guy. Me too. I think that's the thing about this book is like there's so much joy on everybody's faces that they're just like loving it. And I know um, from like a general audience perspective, it seems like there was a lot of negative conversations around this movie because you know, whatever. They had reshoots. They had directorial changes. They had issues with production. It wasn't marketed very well. But whatever. All that aside, you can tell that everybody that worked on this movie put their heart and soul into it. And it just really shows in all the photos. So there's, there are photos in this book of, of everything from the sets that they built to real locations they visited, um, moments between cast members and, you know, meetings and everything. So, Um, Let's start with the beginning on, we'll start on page 15. So in his introduction, um, Rob talked about how when he was a kid, he had the the making of the Empire Strikes Back book. And he saw a photo of Phil Tippett and Dennis Muren working on the stop motion scene of the AT-ATs on Hoth. And he said that that really triggered him and inspired him to get into this industry, which I think is so cool because... Dennis Buren still works at ILM. Like, True. These, you know, Rob is now working with Dennis Muren probably on a daily basis. I mean, how crazy is that to grow up and see pictures of someone working on this new um, franchise and then one day be like, oh, I'm just going to work with him every day. It's not even working for Dennis. It's like working alongside him, which is just insane. It's insane. It also yeah. proves by this picture that Phil Tippett has never smiled. Um, yeah, so that's important <laughs> to remember. <laughs> he's a character. There's more pictures of him towards the end of the book, and he is just—he's got like a he's lot very, going on. <laughs> he's an interesting person. Yeah. Um, but Rob worked in VFX um, for almost—I guess, yeah—almost two decades now, and he worked on the movie Independence Day. And then uh, John Null at ILM asked if he wanted to be the VFX supervisor for an upcoming Star Wars film. So I guess when the opportunity was thrown his way, he didn't really even know maybe that it was solo. It was just a Star Wars movie. And of course, he took it because, hello, Star Wars is on it. Um, And, you know, since then, he's been working side by side with John Nall and Dennis Muren. And it's neat because he set up this book in the order that they... um, that they filmed it like in the order of the production so 
if you know anything about movies, they don't film the movie in order. Um, and I thought it was neat that he went through this book and talked about in which order they did things. Because I'm always curious about that. Like, which things get done first? What is done last? Like, I have no idea about that process. So um, in the beginning of the book, he talks about how they had to do a lot of location scouting for pre-production. And the um, train heist scene was filmed in the Dolomites in Italy, which I think is really cool. Um, But I guess there wasn't very good documentation on what this mountainscape looked like. And they needed to recreate this digitally in order to use it with footage that they were shooting of um, not only just the actors, but they were going to recreate this mountainscape digitally to to start mapping out their filming sequence for the train heist. I was just so blown away that this was apparently the first major step in pre-production, and it was so (laughs) involved and intense. They're basically taking a helicopter around these mountains in Italy and taking thousands and thousands of pictures to digitally map the canyons and mountains they want to use for the train heist sequence in the movie. And, I mean, it's just crazy the amount of money they would have had to spend on cameras, helicopters, and, and time and, and talent just to do this. Uh, yeah. Knowing that, like, well, if we're going to make this solo movie, this is a big part of the movie, and this is what we got to do. It's insane. It's It blows me away. Crazy. It was so, like, stressful for me to read this because <laughs> they were so short on time. And at first, when I was reading about why they documented the mountains with, like, probably thousands of photographs. I didn't understand that they were just trying to create their own physical map. Mm -hmm. I thought maybe they were using those pictures to create their background sequence. I didn't realize, oh, they're actually going to go back there and film these mountains for the scene. Like they're literally just capturing their little map right now because it's not mapped out very well on the internet and like Google maps and things like that. So I, I was a little confused the first time I read it and then I went through it a second time and I was like, oh, they're actually just doing like a fraction of the work right now and it's so intense like it's just crazy so yeah they had um they had a helicopter with multiple photographers in it from clear angle studios to document hundreds of square miles of mountains so that they could create their own 3d computer model and then they made basically like a um like a subway map Mm. of the mountains and their route filming through the the train high sequence and so they had things colored and labeled and um that was literally just to figure out how they're going to go back there and film it which is insane and um rob was talking about how this was like a really remote location it was really difficult to get onto these mountains as well um weather was not cooperating yeah weather was not good and the wind was so intense um while they were taking these photographs and stuff and filming this sequence that one of the um, screws in the camera housing became stripped from the wind. And um, obviously, I guess the camera needed to be fixed. And that delayed their production by half a day. Hmm. Um, 
which it's a lot. Yeah, it it doesn't sound like a lot in the grand scheme of things, but when you're on a film set and you're making a movie, like literally every second counts. And I guess when they went back to to film the actual sequence and get all of the shots they needed, um, I guess they were hoping for a certain type of weather. I think maybe he said overcast, mm-hmm. and it ended up being like bright and sunny and just like really windy. And um, it made it really difficult for them. And when Rob Bordeaux was telling John Nall about all the different uh, plates <laughs> that they had to film for the scene, John was like, oh, that's never been done before. That's insane. Like, that's way too many. Well, it made me and laugh. Rob was like, yeah. Yeah. Cause he, <laughs> and Rob. He was like, apparently calling for advice. Yeah. And, and John was like, oh, John, it's just like, you're crazy. Yeah. I don't know what you're talking about, bro. It's never been done. <laughs> yeah. So when they were delayed half a day, that was really stressful, I'm sure. And then Rob was also talking about how they had to make these really hard banks in the helicopter uh, to get these shots. And I guess he was looking at his computer, trying to track where they were and what they've shot and what they have next. And he got really sick and there were no like vomit bags around. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, you know, people want to talk about visual effects and they think it's just sitting at a computer all day, punching buttons and clicking things and whatever. But it's like, this is intense work. It's actually this sitting guy, in the helicopter all day. And you're freezing your <laughs> butt off. Like, it's not warm there. They're not flying over the beautiful beach or a desert. Like, they're in the snowy mountains in Italy. So... um it just sounds miserable to me. <laughs> and, you know, anytime helicopters involved uh, in producing movies, that's risky, uh, as, we've, yeah. as, we've, as we've heard before. But uh, there's a beautiful picture on page 44 of the entire mm-hmm. pre-production crew there with the helicopter all looking snug, safe, and happy. So, very cool. What a cute little group. Yeah. They're all smiling. Mm-hmm. Like, everybody's just so happy to be there. I can't stress True. enough, and I'm sure Brian can speak to this because he didn't read it. He just looked at them. The pictures <laughs> the pictures Thank in you, this Daniel. book are insanely uh, well composed. Yes. Uh, a lot of them Agreed. are black and white. I mean, it's, it's almost as if every picture in this fo- uh, photo book, including ones that are just like a, someone talking to someone, they look like paintings. They're absolutely some of the most yes. incredible photos I've ever seen of anything. I literally thought, like I'm dead serious about this, I think I may buy another one of these books mm-hmm. and carefully trim out some of the pages and frame the pictures. I'm not exaggerating. They are that good. Mm-hmm. Like I want to frame so many of these pictures. And if you take the um, the sleeve off the... Um, outside of the book like the dust cover mm-hmm. the the actual book is printed with a photo of the controls on the millennium falcon and it just looks so awesome i know i it's, just want to grab that handle and i know i know it's it do the little like two finger point mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. it's so cool. yeah um yeah it's great it's cool too at the end of the book rob talks about the two different cameras that he uses and one of the cameras i've actually shot with before like i used to use it for work all the time so i was like oh that's so cool that he just uses like i mean it's not a cheap camera by any means but he's also not over here using like a twenty thousand dollar camera he's using something that is accessible to people like you and me Mm -hmm. um and it's neat he did an interview on the star wars show and he had the camera with him he's like oh i take it everywhere Hmm. and it's just neat. It reminds me of Joel Aaron too from the animation team, um, yes. who does all the 
um, VFX stuff for like the Clone Wars and Rebels um, and now Resistance, he always has his camera with him as well. And so he has a lot of really neat photos. So maybe hopefully this book will do well so that more people who document productions and things like this, even outside of Lucasfilm, can have their own spotlight and share their stories as well. Because this one is just so, so great. Um, I agree. What I wouldn't give for a Ryan Johnson one. Because he takes a camera oh, with him yeah. everywhere as well. Mm-hmm. I I feel like that is just, it's got to be a matter of time because he shot, he shot film photos too. He didn't yeah. shoot digitally. He shot like 35 millimeter film on the set of The Last Jedi. I would love mm-hmm. to see an entire book of what he's done. Right, right. That would be so there, cool. There is one thing in this book that I wish was more thorough and that's the captions. Uh, cause I want to know who these people are mm-hmm. and like mm-hmm. what, and like exactly what I'm looking at. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I think that'd be kind of cool. Like the, yeah. it's on page, let's see, 20 when they're in the Lucasfilm archives. I was like, oh, that's really cool. It's like, whose lightsaber is Bradford Young holding? You know, mm-hmm. like who, who's that woman over there looking there? Like who's, what's going on here in every picture? Cause they're that, amazing as well. That woman over there, I follow her on Instagram. Let me try to find her name real quick. Cause I'd like to give her a little shout out. Well, it's a good yes. thing to point out, um, Brian, because this book was written by the photographer who was, mm-hmm. you know, on set working on the movie. So it's written from that perspective. It's not going to give you, and you know, I should have said this at the top of the show, but you know, obviously, people here making of solar are like, "Ooh, juicy!" What yeah, happened right. <laughs> this is right, this right. is from the perspective of someone who was there from day one to day zero. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, in the heart of the movie, and it's all basically focused on his experience through the yep, lens. It's true. So it's it's mm-hmm. all it's a very personal book. Um, yeah. Yep, I agree. So it's I not agree. really designed to give you like the full. Uh, you know, it's not like a making of behind the scenes mo- uh, featurette on like a disc that would yeah. be like, right, right, right. Let's interview this that person, would have all that the person. Credits. Yeah, it's yeah. uh, sure. it's That's very true. unique. I I like the the perspective here too because typically on like behind the scenes content they interview cast members mm-hmm. at nauseum, mm-hmm. which is great. Like I love the cast members of this movie, but we've heard so much from them that I wanted to hear from crew members. And he talks to a lot of different crew members and interviews them and has their little stories in this book as well, which I really liked. But um, real quick before I forget, the lady in that um archive picture her name is alina campbell and she is a star wars costume archivist um Sweet. and her instagram is biba fets so instead mm. of boba it has an i instead of the o so biba fets and she's super cool um, i love it but yeah it's 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 nice to have a really narrow perspective but i can see what you're saying too brian because some of the other like making of star wars books are very in-depth and cover like a lot of different perspectives but it's neat because this one is just honed in on his part of the production uh like i would love to know more about costume design for this movie but that's not the purpose of this book Mm. Um, true 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 I agree. It's it's neat. It would it would be so great to have so many books from everybody's perspectives, you know? Like obviously, I know. obviously they can't do that, but it would be really cool to to have something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. My favorite Just quote in the thing. whole movie is I think at the end when he was talking about, you know, after he realized he had all thousands of these pictures and he was talking to Kathleen Kennedy about uh, you know, the book, as they were making the movie, like, I think we're going to make this book. And uh, he said, you know, 
since there's so much drama or there was so much like um yeah trouble with the the firing of the first two directors and stuff he kind of was expressing to kathy like ah, maybe we shouldn't make the book and she said something like that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. You're making the book. That's exactly what she said. I <laughs> love that. I love her so much. Yeah. I agree. And that's something, too, that I think we'll probably talk about more a little bit later on today. But um, the the drama part of this production, and it's not even drama. It's just, like, position Business changes usual, and things yeah. like that. Business. Um, it's really not discussed heavily in the book at all, mm-hmm. um, which is nice because you're able to enjoy – the production process without all the press, you know, mm-hmm. opinions and I agree. you know, clickbait titles and uh, just like stuff that's super uh. annoying. Uh. <laughs> uh. <laughs> God. So, um, the next thing in the book that I thought was really interesting was uh, the power plant that they film in for the very opening of the, the movie with Kira and Han together. Mm-hmm. Um, they scouted this power plant for The Force Awakens and Rogue One, mm. and it was never chosen to be used as um, a shoot location, and so they decided to use it for this movie. But it makes me wonder, like... Um, especially for The Force Awakens. I feel like this doesn't have a Force Awakens vibe at all. I could kind of see it for Rogue One, um, but it's just interesting. I, I bet it's so fun to be a location scouter because you get to go to all these amazing places in the world, um, and you basically get to like keep all these ideas in your head, and then when the movie starts production, you can go, oh, I've been to this place. That would be great for this scene, and um, I, it's neat that this one location had been scouted before, and they ended up getting to use it finally. Possibly for the... Han, Ben thing, there in the heart oh, of Starkiller, maybe. Yeah, that's a, yeah, that's true. I didn't even think about that. It definitely has that kind of vibe. It's Corellia. Uh, yeah, yeah it's I awesome. love it. Yeah, so cool. Where was this located exactly, uh, Savannah? Um, let me Folly look. Power Station. It's in it's in England. Oh, is it in England? Yeah. It's, okay. Yeah. 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 Let me double check. Yeah, it's somewhere in England. I'm not. I think it says it later on in the book, but the page I'm looking at right now doesn't have the name. Um, but in this, in one of these pictures here, page uh, 58, it does have um, Phil Lord and Chris Miller in the picture of the crew. I um, and I notice in some of the book, there is a little bit of... So so Rob says that he made the book in order of how the production was done, but um, there are pictures of uh, Lord and Miller pretty far along in the book whereas i expected them to be replaced by ron at that point mm-hmm. um so that's just kind of interesting well, i always to had notice, the impression like, that ron took over way towards the end of the movie um yeah and you know he writes the forward to this book and he's in a lot of it mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. but yeah i think they were pretty much cruising the ship for at least 50 percent of the movie at least yeah yeah for sure like I know, have I know a lot of the, uh, like La- Lady Proxima stuff yeah. was reshot, mm-hmm. and then the Kessel stuff was Ron Howard, mm-hmm. but like mm-hmm. a lot of Corellia was uh was uh, Lord Miller, mm-hmm. and then the Dolomites as well. Lord Miller were there for mm-hmm. a lot of that. Mimban, right? Um, yeah, Mimban. Mimban was uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think that was Ron Howard. I think that's and, Ron. I uh, think there's, there's photos yeah. of him in this. I with thought I remember with, reading yeah. somewhere that they wrote and directed the Chewie meets Han sequence, though. I could be wrong about that. So, 
Mm, we're getting I out think, of the book though, so <laughs> sorry. Well, th- some of that some of that is scene. covered in the in the book. So um, there are photos of Ron with uh, Alden Ehrenreich in the the Memban battle mm-hmm, scene. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I think he was present for that. But um, by the way, that's a set, folks. That entire yes. battlefield is a set. It's insane. I know. It is so Which insane. I kind of love that we can't tell right. the difference between Lord Miller and Ron Howard. Like it's such yeah. a cohesive movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I I really like that. Yeah, it, it, like, oh, it's, you know, the it's movie is tragic just because that's the main contentious point that mm-hmm. people were yeah, talking about insane. before the movie came out. And yeah. I know. you watch the movie and you're like I, What are you you're, even talking I mean, about? I mean, I was looking for like <laughs> where is it switch? And yeah. I came out scratching my head. I'm like, I don't seems it's true. to me. I agree. And I like, I mean, Savannah, you said it before that I think is really important. A lot of people are quick to criticize without fully understanding what goes into this stuff. Like mm-hmm. nobody tries to make a bad movie. Hmm. Right. You know what I mean? There's hundreds and hundreds of people trying their very best to put out something that's good. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, so it's so easy who people who don't even know what's going on, who's like, oh, that character CGI, all oh, that sets made up. You're like, oh, no, there was like 50 people who brought that one character to life. Yeah. They're like, nah, I don't like it. They they have asked it. It's like, dude, you, you don't, don't even know. Get, get out of here. You know what I mean? Like, you don't yeah. have to like it because art is relative, but that doesn't just because you don't like it doesn't make it bad. Right. Point you in know? fact, I, I have yet kind of to meet anyone who has seen this movie that not only didn't dislike it, but didn't love it. Like everyone I've yeah. talked to, like, I agree. Wow, this movie's awesome. I'm like, yeah, obviously. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. I agree. It's it's so good. This movie's amazing, yeah. and this book just further enhances that. Like you said, like with you've got the visual effects, the head of ILM in a helicopter mapping out, so doing things that's never been done before, which is the most Star Wars thing ever, and like mapping out a mountain so that they can later blow it up. Like that's yeah. pretty cool. You know? yeah. On a lesser scale, no pun intended, on page 61, they actually built a miniature of the plant just so they yeah. can, can visualize. I think that is so awesome. <laughs> and it's a really good miniature. It's not like the foam core. It's like actually painted and they've got little tiny trees. It reminds and like me of that everything. scene in Goldfinger when he's talking about Operation uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. Smash or whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. It, it reminds me of Walt Disney with like the Epcot project, mm. that model. Mm. <laughs> Um, it's cool though. But another neat thing that I noted, uh, about the power plant was that I guess there was a control room in that power plant that had tons of switches and dials and knobs and all kinds of stuff, um, on these power boards. And Rob photographed every single switch and dial in that room. And that room ended up inspiring the droid control room later, um, on Kessel. So I thought that was kind of neat. Um, but I agree. Super when I read 70s. that he, oh, very seventies, very seventies. It's like something you'd see in like an old movie about like the Apollo project or mm-hmm. something like that. But um, when I read that he photographed everything in that room, it made me wonder what the heck does his like organization process look like? Yeah. Like when he starts, does he process yeah, his editing. own images? Does he have an assistant that process processes images? How do you organize all these images? Cause they're referenced back so heavily throughout production. I just wonder, um, how does that work? How do you, I don't know, where is all this stuff stored? <laughs> how do you organize it? Is it color coded? <laughs> like, Get them on the show. I agree. 
I need to know this. Rob, if you're out there, tell us how you organize your pictures. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Um, And then we need to interview someone from the Folly Power Station. Be like, how do you get anything done knowing that Han Solo drove through here? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't it abandoned now? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's abandoned. Yeah, that's why they used it. Man, I can't even imagine not there So if you do get someone from the Folly Power Station... It might do. be weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've been living accepted. in the hole down here. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I saw Han Solo go through here. You're like, all yeah. right, buddy. <laughs> yeah. It's, like, it's in Hampshire, by the way. Mm. Ha- Hampshire, Hampshire, Southeast. Hampshire. England. Hampshire, as us Americans say. Yeah. Incorrectly. God. Hampshire. Yeah, no, that's cool. And then on page 69, you've nice. got the uh, Phil and Lloyd. I know. <laughs> <laughs> This oh, is a family-friendly show. Thank you. <laughs> I, just, I knew it was coming, too. <laughs> you've got Lord Miller. I'm 12. <laughs> uh, you've got Lord Miller with the crew planning this stuff out. <laughs> wow. And then we, go to, then we go to Pinewood. And then we go to Pinewood. Uh, you got the Falcon. Yeah. Let's talk about beautiful. page 75, Daniel. You mentioned this earlier. Um but this is like one of my favorite things in the whole book too. Uh, Rob was there when Bradford Young, the director of photography, stepped into the cockpit yeah. of the Millennium Falcon for the first time, and it is just like that is everyone's face ever when they get to see anything from Star Wars in real life. Mm-hmm. Like true, it's just so perfect. He looks like a little kid. Yeah, he looks he so does. happy. By the way, I. I love the, the cinematography in this movie and the the lighting and everything. It's very unique. It feels Star it Wars, but at the same time, it's something like we've never seen. This man is a genius. Yeah, he's brilliant. Hundred percent. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Because he was one of those that used the location lighting as opposed to like a lighting kit. Right. He's like, if if we can light these characters with candles that are on set, that's what we're gonna do. Mm. Uh, which, which is, is a very ballsy crazy. thing to do. <laughs> yeah, that's insane. Because this is time is money and this is star wars yeah and you're like we need to get the shot it needs to be well lit. we need to see what's going on and he's like what if we didn't <laughs> <laughs> yeah and he just looks so cool mm-hmm. doesn't he seem like the nicest person ever yeah he seems really sweet i want to meet him get him on the show I'm yo trying. bradford we need you <laughs> yeah and then my favorite pages are, are next. Yeah, I'm, I was going to let you talk about this because I knew this would be one of your highlights. So... Who's this guy with the white hair, Brian? <laughs> that Well, that's a man named Neil Scanlon, <laughs> who's another mm-hmm. uh, legend, uh, just the coolest person ever. And then this I... photo on the left, that's mm-hmm. Brian Herring on the left <sighs> in, uh, oh. in that guy. And on the right, that is Stephanie Silva. If I am not mistaken. And then we've got the little like early maquettes for Rio, which is so cool. Oh, that's awesome. Creatures are the best. Creatures are the best. But yeah, you get Brian Herring in like a full creature suit this time, which if I'm not mistaken, I think this is I the first movie I see what you're talking about done. with the captions now. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like if you don't and notice And I heard things, Neil Scanlon eats breakfast. I've heard the same. <laughs> yep. I don't, I don't know. Yep. He does. Uh, oh man, that was the best. Uh, but this is Dude, cool. That, <laughs> that Sabak stuff. Oh my gosh! It's, it's. I think it's my favorite scene in the movie. Mm-hmm. I just love it, and I love that it's the meeting with Lando and Han, and Lando cheats, and all the creatures like that. That little guy, mm-hmm. that with the two heads. There's like, mm-hmm. I think he said there was nine puppeteers that took to oh bring that guy gosh. to life. Oh my gosh! I know. 
I know. Wow. And then you got the 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 Orbex. Uh, or not the yeah, Orbex, can you talk the, about the that? Because new... this was tragic. Once I saw these pictures, I was like, oh my god. Yeah. Yeah, I mix it up. Why did not Orbex. They cut this out of the movie. These are the 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 other ones. Do they even name these guys? I don't know. Codjocks. Are these Codjocks? Yeah. Okay. Kodjocks. Is that what you're talking about? The yep. the things that they're writing. Yeah. Because yeah, okay. Orbex are the ones from the episode nine photos. Yeah. Uh, mm. But this is cool. That got cut, which is dumb, but also cool that we have these pictures. So there's proof that it happened, because mm-hmm. that means we would have gotten even more like on the nose Western callback. Because oh. this was for the train sequence. Yeah. So imagine if they rode up on these things and like a straight up old school train robbery, uh, jumped from these things onto the train. But it's Savannah. Cool. Can you imagine the time? That's what I was just going to first say. design and then build these things and then put them on a rig. And think of like all the hair that's punched into those. Uh, yaks mm-hmm. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> and just like the time and energy that goes into making them, and um, I'm sure they're they're like, yeah, I think that it says they were fully articulated with their head and neck moving, um, and then that's obviously so people cool. were puppeteering it, so that's time and money that you're spending on people bringing it to life, and. I really like what Han and Chewie are wearing. Like they both have these really cool goggles, and Chewie's hair is all blown back in the wind. I mean, I would have loved to have seen that. Um, and it just, so, you know, so think it had about to get that. cut for sake of time. So think about all the time and man hours and effort that went into these things. Didn't even make the cut. And that happens right. all the time. <laughs> all the time. More things get cut than make it. Yeah. And it's like when you think about so like the Lugga Beast, right? In episode seven, uh, mm-hmm. that was seven months of R&D yeah. and stuff for just that one creature and it's like they wanted se- Neil wanted seven seconds yeah and he's like he's like that'll be good seven months seven seconds that's what I need and then wow. inside that you've got Tom Tom uh, Tom Wilton and Derek Arnold it, underneath it and then you've got Kieran Shaw as Tito on top of it on top of all the other things that they did to make this thing come true it's hmm. crazy and and think about all the steps that you have to take before you even get to that point think of all the maquettes that are made all the concept drawings that are made for various creatures and mm-hmm. aliens and then the selection process and then you know making physical versions of those and then choosing between those and then having it fitted to the the character or the creature performer like there are so many steps and so much time and somehow they do this in like two years. How is this possible? You know, how do they do this in such a short amount of time? I don't understand. And I, f- dude, I want a Kodiak, uh action playset. Yes, right? I want a plushie. I want a plushie of it. Yeah. I would totally hang I out with it. This is every this is as cool, if not cooler, than a Tauntaun. Oh yeah, I, it's got the same kind of I vibe, agree. especially with the head of it. Yeah, it's so cool. Yeah, I want every creature and alien as a figure and playset. God, it'd just be so cool. And yeah. then you've got like, that's the other thing is Star Wars specifically is always on like the the cutting edge technology. They're developing stuff as it's being done. Like that was a big thing about the prequels is like they were they were on the cusp of the next generation of technology. And this movie, the next page, you've got uh, the top left picture. You see the mechanics of Six Eyes, which hmm. is it. So like that's Matt Denton there on the right. He wrote the code and developed the servos for that thing. That that right there it is looks, the most complicated one they've ever done. It's it's crazy because in the movie you're like, oh, I guess that's CG. Mm, and yeah, you're like nope. uh, no. <laughs> they they told a, he told the story at a, the panel he did uh, at Celebration where there were producers sitting in Video Village, which is like off the set around the corner. There's like a little tent with monitors in it so the producers can watch what's going on. 
And they're like, how are they doing that? Like real life CG. So they were convinced that this was being rendered as it was being shot. And they're like, go back around, go look at the set, see what's going on here. And they're like, oh no, it's real. And the fact that like Matt wrote the code to where there's a puppeteer who's doing like the mouth and everything as well. But the six eyes have their own like motion detecting servos to where Derek Arnold, who's the performer there, um, if he would lean forward, all the eyes would look down. And then he wrote, Matt wrote the code to where every time it moved, it blinked and it add realism and it looks real. It's crazy. And they brought it to celebration. So like a lot of people got to see it in person. Oh my God. It's, it's insane. so cool. It is so like, he, insane. That stuff didn't exist before he did this. Like what? And fun fact, Matt Denton has a world record for like the largest robot thing that he also developed himself. It's called the Mantis robot. It's so cool. It kind of looks like the spider from Wild Wild West. Uh, but yeah, he's a world record holder for stuff like that, which is nuts. Yeah, it's it insane. is a little unfair. He doesn't get his name in this. That's page, what right? I mean. So like, that's my only criticism of the book is like with stuff like this, just the names. Be like, do you know mm-hmm. that man right there is a living legend as well? And like, Well, they just got to tune into the interesting podcast to learn more. I know. Dude, I, I mean. Well, he was gray, featured. Wasn't he featured people. on a panel at Celebration too? Yeah, he was on. It was him, Josh Lee, Neil Scanlon. Yeah. Did the uh, Creature Performers panel. And then they did another one for the animatronics as well. That was one thing he talked about was they made, he was developing this technology for K2. The like uh, motion was, I think he called them like kinetic motors or something like that. And he had this head built that looked like Johnny Five from Short Circuit. And when he would lean it back, it would kind of wince up like it's looking into the sun and look around. And they were developing that for K2, didn't end up using it until Six Eyes. And by then, they boosted it up on steroids, and it had mm-hmm. what you see in front of you. Crazy. Crazy, crazy, crazy. And then you see the molds for, looks like Proxima or mm-hmm. Moloch, one of the mm-hmm. two. So cool. Yeah. That I love, because I've never seen the molds before Yeah. for any of the creatures and stuff. I don't think there are pictures. There's like a dog butt in the back. <laughs> there is. <laughs> there is. Was it's it a so Carillion cool. hound or whatever? I, yeah. I, yeah, Gotta I guess right. so. I guess so. It looks like the bodysuit for him. The first time I saw Solo, I once we got to Lady Proxima, I knew it was a practical effect, and I was like goosebumps up and down. I mean, I had Willow vibes like immediately. Yeah. Yep. I was like, oh, thank God, Ron Howard. Thank God, ILM. This is like, I remember even Lindsay looking over Lindsay, and her mouth was just hit the floor. I'm like, what am yeah. I looking at? This is insane. I freaking love right? Lady Proxima. I think she oh, is same. so great. So, so, so great. I think the thing is with with crediting everybody that worked on on everything. Yeah, it's like <laughs> yes, all of these people deserve all the praise in the world and all the credit, but because there are so many people involved, it would take so much time to credit everyone, and I feel like if you're in the industry where you're working behind the scenes, for the most part, these types of people don't even care if they get credit, and most people never get credit, <laughs> and mm-hmm. they're just shame. doing this because they love it, which is a shame. But I agree. It's, I understand not crediting everyone, but like yeah. if it's a picture of one dude and a mechanic, like who's the dude? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like obviously he's not the only person who had a hand in this. You know, I mean, <laughs> if if we're crediting everything, it's like there's the top half of Derek Arnold. You know, but like if it's a picture of a person like Bradford Young like any of those people like you don't need the when you're looking at these these horse things you don't need like the 75 people who helped bring that to life but like okay there's Chewie up there played by Jonas or Ian White who knows who's on there 
I got some context for you, Brian. On IMDb, for the page for Solo, under visual effects, there are 848 individuals listed. That's what I mean. We don't need to credit everyone, but just the people (laughs) in the photo. Yeah. Savannah, can you you tell us uh, what we learned about... um, Coaxium? Yes. Yes, I have a note on it. Actually, (laughs) notes. this is so amazing. This like blew my mind. So obviously the coaxium is like a really important part of the movie. And funny enough, the fluid that they decided to use to represent coaxium is called ferrofluid. And it was created by NASA in 1963. And it is used to power jets, (laughs) which is like, how fitting. This isn't, you know, this isn't lava from a lava lamp. That's just mm-hmm. floating around and being a cool effect. Like this is actually used in the real world. Um, True. So this ferrofluid can be controlled and moved by using magnets, and they decided to film this fluid and and move it around with magnets, uh, so that could it you know could float around and have its own organic life. Um, and then they looped the footage and played it at different speeds and stuff, and played it on these remote controlled iPads. Then they hmm. put these iPads in the coaxium containers and put, um, from what I understand, they, they put different lenses on top so that the iPad would look curved. It's mm. it's insane. And so they tested so like cool. four different curvatures of plexiglass uh, so that it would look like they were shooting this and it was actually in a tube, but it it's just an iPad. <laughs> like just so cool. So the next time you folks sign a petition online to remake <laughs> a major production movie, realize that if you're the ones making the movie, you're going to have to go to these kinds of lengths yeah. to even touch the original production. Yeah. Exactly. So. Exactly. It's, it's insane. Like, obviously, not everybody can access ferrofluid, but anybody can access an iPad and plexiglass. So it's neat that, you know, even though the, the physical object that they used was something that not everybody can have... They used practical everyday elements to capture this. Like, I love Crazy. it. It's so cool. It's so cool. And they have pictures in the book here on page 84 of the iPads with the glass in front of it and, you know, what the final product looked like and how they filmed it in the different tubes and stuff. It's just so neat. I love it. Enough enough to power a Star Cruiser, Brian. Yep. yep. Or blow us all straight to hell. <laughs> Gotta love Beckett. Uh, it hurt my thumbs. <laughs> <laughs> um, God bless Woody. There, there are a lot of photos uh, from like page eighty-seven to probably I don't know ninety-two thousand. Yep, <laughs> ninety-two um, of the beginning of the movie where Han and Kira are split up and there's pictures of all the extras, people waiting around, waiting for their scene to be ready to film. There's a shot of Warwick Davis with his helmet off because he played a character in that scene as well. And then there's a picture of Rob's family. So he talked about how um, his wife and kids like uprooted their life and moved to Europe for several years while this movie was being made. And uh, they actually got to be extras in a scene. And his daughters are pretty young. They look like they're probably in middle school, maybe like freshman in high school. Um, Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, man, how cool would that be to be a kid and just say, oh, I'm going to work with my dad today. Oh, what does your dad do? He's making Star Wars. Like, Mm -hmm. that's the coolest thing ever. Well, you couldn't say that. But But just to to know that you're 
getting to experience something that is so important. Speaking of personal perspective, yeah. Um, I, what, speaking on what you were saying, Savannah, I mean, I mean, I think the biggest challenge for him taking the role was like his young, uh, oldest daughter was going into her freshman year of high school. Yeah. And moving to England, she was going to be split up from all her friends. Yeah. And so she came to her dad and was said, look, I think it'd be stupid for me to, uh, you know, yeah, I'm going to miss my friends for a year, but... I'll get over it. Then I have this... <laughs> yeah. So, good on her. Yeah. That's that's a huge commitment, too, and, like, thinking about how that must be for his wife. To, I mean, because even, like, as a wife, you have friends, you have a life, you have, mm-hmm. you know, your favorite local grocery store or whatever. It's like mm-hmm. you have all these things that are important to your everyday life and to move across the world and live in a different country you know it's it's europe so it's modern but it's it's still different and i'm sure rob was working from before the sun came up till after the sun came down i'm sure they really didn't see him a lot during the production so that's a huge commitment and those are the things i think about all the time too with like um kathy kennedy like her and Frank Marshall have been married for so many years and they have kids as well. And it makes me wonder like, what is their dynamic look like? What does their everyday look like? Because she's said before too, that her daughters have moved to different schools in Europe while she's working on films. But you know, Frank yeah. is still working on movies too. So what, what is that marriage like? What are those sacrifices like? And mm. they literally just do this to entertain people, which is insane. This isn't even like they're, curing cancer or sending people to mars they're just making movies but they're still making big sacrifices in those ways so i think that's Mm -hmm. really important to think about and that's that's the case with a lot of people that work on these movies not just the people who are high up in the production it's like these extras are on set for probably 16 hours a day you know like doing things Mm -hmm. it's it's exhausting it's crazy i agree um and then on page 98 we get the best page ever um excuse me you're skipping over a very important part brian that i'm I sorry i'm so on. excited <laughs> can we back up for just a second we never left <laughs> <laughs> there are three women that are talked about specifically in this book that i wanted to mention because i thought it was really neat that yes. um rob interviewed them and gave them a lot of the spotlight so on page 92 not 98. Yes. Um, I know. <laughs> there is a woman, her name is Sylvain Dufault, and she is Sylvain. the okay. first camera operator, and she basically acted as like the director of photography when Bradford was shooting other scenes. Um, and so I feel like that's a really important job because she has to match Huge. Bradford's style. And if his style is so different from what everybody else, you know, in Hollywood is doing that takes a lot of learning and practice to understand his vision and what he wants and make everything cohesive. And it's like, obviously when audience members like us are watching this movie, we, I I don't see any parts of the film where I'm like, Ooh, this isn't lit the right way. You know, like it's all very Mm. cohesive. So, um, it's neat that he chose to feature her and like, you know, called her name out and talked about, uh, what it's like to, to kind of have that role. Um, but I was also curious too, I don't, I don't really know enough about the different levels of camera operators and like first assistant, blah, blah, blah. So I was looking up, yeah, I was looking up their, uh, like roles basically. And she is responsible for like the composition of shots, deciding where the 
camera goes, which lens to use. Um, they prepare the camera and accessories for different setups and they have to have a really high attention to detail, which I think is super important across like everybody that works in film. Um, but, oh yes. Um, and she, I mean, she looks, I'm not trying to be rude here, but she, she looks a little older. So I think she's been doing this for a long time and she's probably very good at what she does. Um, and then I'm sure she has younger people, uh, learning the ropes kind of, and they'll end up having this type of job one day. So I just thought it was neat that he, um, did a little feature on her, but now we can move to page 98, Brian. But before we do that, (laughs) I didn't know how to pronounce her name. It's a really cool name. Sylvain Defoe. I'm assuming that's that's how you, I I I think you're right. Yeah. I just think it's really cool. It's a really cool name. And this is what I'm talking about. Giving credit. Yeah. It's like, the, you know, if it weren't for this picture and this article, would we know who she is? No. You know, that's what I'm saying. I agree. But I agree. But there's cool. only so much time in the day. This man has a real job. <laughs> I know. God. Put me in charge of it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be the credit giver. Um, but yeah, we're at, we're at now we're at the Sabak. Uh, okay. Yes. Best, best scene. It's so, it's so cool. Like this goes back to Neil Scanlon's genius. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, then you've got like Luke Fisher and Jake Lunt Davis, who like are the concept artists for these creatures. This mm-hmm. big guy in the tank is really cool looking. Mm-hmm. Like I just love really creative designs and whatnot. The Sabak table, beautiful. Yeah, I love his whole like uh, '60s a- astronaut aesthetic. Yeah, he's got the little, he's like a huge... little skull cap. Yeah, yeah. It's so cool in his face. I mean, this whole sequence, Brian. I hate to say it, but it it puts every other Moss Eisley Cantina's sort of homage to shame. It's so good. I agree. I agree. And just it's just so cool, and it's so yeah. intimate. And like, I'm always going on about like we need creatures in the forefront. Mm-hmm. You know, we need to see more aliens interacting with things because that's something I think is really Star Wars. Mm-hmm. You know, we like we can get so into the actors and whatnot, which is incredible, but like. Dude, show that's why I love Rio so much. And like mm-hmm. everybody loves Chewie. That's a main character that's also an alien. You know, mm-hmm. Pal from Rogue One. Uh so when you see a scene like this where it's just a majority aliens, there's more aliens here than there are people. And mm-hmm. they're not getting just like an insert. You know, cuz that's one thing that was great about the Cantina scene is like here's alien, here's alien, here's alien. But it's mm-hmm. really they don't get their time. You know what I mean? It's like a shot of this, a shot of this. Whereas in the Sabak game you see everyone around and they're interacting and it hits them more than once. And then mm-hmm. six eyes is the hero here. Um, <laughs> it's dude. He's just the, the really funny, like keep your eyes on your cards, all of them. <laughs> and just the one, like it's such a good moment. Yeah. And you've got and honestly that, that little moment, that line wouldn't have been pulled off if it wasn't for your boy, Mark's work. Right. 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 Or right. Matt. Matt. Mark. Yeah. Matt, Matt Denton Denton. did. Matt. Well, Matt see, Denton. that's, that's another thing. So you've got, Neil Scanlon, who is the head of the creature department. You've got Derek Arnold with the thing on his head. You've got Matt Denton, who created the servos. It's like this giant team effort. And then, so on page 98, the top left picture, you have these two Goddorites. I'm not sure which one, but one of these is details. Mm. See, he's in there. Uh, Great. And then you've got at the table there, Thurm Scissor Punch. Greatest greatest Star Wars ever. ever. (laughs) It really is. He was like then, the star of their b- very brief marketing period. <laughs> oh, ditto. I, I drove an hour to the nearest Denny's so that I can get a <laughs> Therm Scissor Punch card. <laughs> it's so wow. good. 
And I'm not even sure there's somebody in Therm. I could be mm-hmm. wrong, but I think it's a full puppeteer mm-hmm. uh, endeavor. And then next to him, the little guy at the table, that's Kieran Shaw mm-hmm. right there, which is another super living legend. Looks like uh, that, was it Dud Bolt, the pod racer? Oh, oh yeah. yeah. It does. <laughs> that's, that's so funny. cool. And then you've got in the top right, you can. S- this is the best picture because Derek is hot, I guess. And Neil's just like, hmm. hmm. Yeah, he is just like, thinking about what he's going to have for dinner when he gets off of this set. <laughs> that's right. Or breakfast the next day. Mm-hmm. Uh, he. <laughs> what I love about this is like, so, <laughs> so I've heard stories of like the in-depth the, how deep Neil goes into his creatures and he like he'll look at them and be like okay this is this person and he'll even create like entire elaborate backstories explaining why they're sitting at this table and who they are before they got to this table and how to carry them so that the creature performance inside can kind of mm. convey that with their movement that's amazing which just adds more realism to it like yeah dude it's so I've heard like the coolest stories about like Moloch and like mm. how he came to be in a position of power working under Proxima, the type of personality he is, like what he thinks about the situation. And Neil does that for every one of his creations. And then he puts the best people in the creatures to make them real. And I'm kind of a fan of creatures. (laughs) I gotta, I just realized something. We're a little less than halfway through this book. And we have not talked very much about any computer generated effects. Yes, Aside isn't from that maybe amazing? The train heist. True. It's so yeah. crazy. true, true, true. That's that's one cool. thing that um Rob talks a lot about like throughout the book is how he really was pushing for real time effects, things that they could do as they were shooting and composite things together as they were making these scenes on set. Mm-hmm. Um, and they wanted to do, you know, as little as possible after the fact. And there was even a point, I think it's later in the book when they're on Kessel, um, there were several instances where the actual set was just not wide enough for the type of camera that Bradford was using. And, Mm -hmm. you know, rather than being like, oh, we'll just fix it later in post, they really had to strategically shoot those scenes uh, so that they wouldn't have to create a ton of stuff digitally later on. They were really trying to use as much as they had on set, Um, Mm -hmm. which, I mean, they do it for a reason because time is money, money is time, and they had a really tight deadline for this movie. So the time that they spent on set fixing problems, they didn't have to spend that time later on doing it in post, but it also makes it so much more real for the people watching. That's true. And it just helps as well when you have like the synergy of the two, the practical and the visual effects, because they have a good reference, like the Porgs. Mm -hmm. You know, the Porgs were practical props, but they were also put in in post. Right. You know what I mean? So it's it's, when you can't tell is even better because they're... I mean, it's it's Star Wars. Like, this is ILM and, and Pinewood's, you know, CFX department. So it's like you've got the best of the best doing this for us, and I just think it's great. I will also say the CG in this movie, <coughs> Kessel Run, is incredible. Yeah. Like, some of the best I've ever seen. So, sorry, Agreed. not to skip ahead. Yeah. I agree. 100%. 
Um, I want to talk about something real quick on page 102. Um, I'm sure everybody remembers mm. the big, you know, 360 <laughs> marketing video that they used before the movie came out of the Sabak table scene and the camera spins around and you have this like panoramic experience on your phone checking out all the different angles. Well, I just assumed they dropped a 360 camera in there and shot the scene and got the heck out. No, they didn't because of the way Bradford shot the movie and lit everything uh, a regular 360 degree camera was not able to capture the scene because it was too dark so they ended up having to use the same alexa camera that bradford was using for the film and film the scene in six different passes and then stitch everything together isn't that insane for a marketing shot like that's so crazy. I love it. I love it too. So I just wanted to I like this out. kid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Where um, is he? Checking something because I just realized something for the first time. Oh. Where is it? So. You realized how Therm Scissor Punch holds his cards? Yeah. I'm still trying to figure that out. Carefully. Very Without carefully. Them. <laughs> so the guy. Where is it? What page are you on? I'm looking in another book as well. Oh. <laughs> I've got a creature's book. That's pretty great. So, Do you have a favorite uh, Sabak player, Savannah? Besides Lando. Don't good make one. me good one, do good one. that. Um, honestly, on. I don't think I do. I don't know mm. if I have a favorite. I think my favorite uh, creature slash alien out of the entire movie is Lady Proxima, though. Love me uh-huh. some Lady Proxima. Uh-huh. Same, same, same. That was another one. It took like 15 people to bring her to life. Because she was on a with... crane as well. Yeah. I got to go with Rio only because my boy Favreau. Oh, yeah. Got to love Rio. I love, love Rio. Are you? Ah, okay. Oh, okay. Found it. So on page 103, mm-hmm. okay, over Lando's, I guess he's looking at us, so it'd be his left shoulder. Mm-hmm. That's the guy there. Okay, so I'm fairly certain... That might also be Brian Herring, because that's the same species as Herring Brian, who's on uh, Dread and Voss's yacht. Same species, oh. same everything. He's just dressed differently. Intr- I never put that together. Look at that! And then you have Stephanie Silva over his other shoulder, the one that he kisses her hand. Yep. Really cool. Really cool. Yeah, there's so many people in that 360 shot that is really neat. It'd be cool to be an extra on that set. Right? The, the guy on the far left... In the, like, Zuvio hat. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> That's Stephen Bridges, who's, like, a real-life street magician. Oh. And they had him actually do those, like, those card tricks were real. Yeah. In the movie, and I, I think this was neat. mentioned, like, during the behind-the-scenes featurette of the movie. But all of the people at that table learned how to play the game. And so they would yes. uh, they would be actually playing the game. And then they would tell the, um, you know, the producers and stuff, oh, like, we made this mistake. Make sure you fix this or whatever. That's kind of yeah. Fun. They had a sabak like camp yeah. ahead of time. Yeah. That's so cool. Um, let's fast forward just a bit to page 113. And so there's a little feature here on uh, Bradford Young. And there's the just best. a really sweet picture of him holding his son on the set of Mimban, which is just so mm-hmm. cute. But it's cool because um, Rob's daughter, Allison, actually got to interview Bradford for a school project. Um, and they had to interview a photographer and it was like, wow, well, that's great. You got to talk to like the best one. (laughs) So, um, 
you know, her little school report is in the book and it was really sweet. So I'm not going to read it word for word, but that's on page 113. Um, and there's some photos of her with Bradford on the set. And there's another cool story from her later on in the book that I want to talk about as well. But it, it sounds like his family was on set multiple times, which is neat. Um, they got to experience mm. a lot of different things. So there's a lot of full page photos of uh, the Mimban scene and... Mm man, this is just so cool because of all the, like, fog and all the haze. Um, mm-hmm. there's, there's And the mud. Mud, it's just... Great. More so mud. neat. So it, as you yeah. get into, like, the second half of this book, it's very photo-heavy and a little bit lighter on captions and text. Um, so I'm going to, like, skim through here just a little bit because it is a lot of photos. But there's still photos in here of Lord and Miller. Um, mm-hmm. Yep. And Ron has already been in the book on the production so um it's just a little it's like a little bit confusing but i i think it's only because of the stuff in the dolomites was done so early on mm. in yep. the production um there's a lot that oh go ahead that pine wood set man i know it's so cool i i really like page 130 and 131 um it's like scenes from the very beginning of the movie um and there's some information about like the Corellian hounds, but there's a really sweet picture of Alden and Amelia on set together with a bunch of like extras around them. Um, and they just one looks terrified. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, She's oh, got, like a fish in her basket or something, but it's just so neat. Oh, I stand slightly corrected. Page 116 has uh, the, it's the droid control room and there's Lord Miller. So I guess not all of Kessel was Ron Howard. Oh Yeah. And we got mm. details on the left there. Yeah. Looking super cool. Yep. D's awesome. Yeah, it's he interesting was a to see, site. like, who... It, it is weird. Like, I, I kind of want a chart of what scenes they did and what scenes <laughs> Ron did. Give me a color-coded chart, please. Somebody. Right. Um. Yeah. I don't think it'll happen. For the same reason, we'll never get the original cut of Rogue One. Oh, you know what God, I mean? Because you don't... You, <sighs> Because you don't want to, you don't want to go into like I, I get it because you don't want to get the original cut of Rogue One and then have to compare it to what we got. Yeah. You know what I mean? Be like, you know, I like this scene, but I actually like it less now because I like the previous scene beforehand. And then like, if people have certain negative bias toward Lord Miller, they're like, you know what? Like, I could tell. You know, there will I be hate people. That. Like, I can, I could tell. Like, you know, this scene like kind of fell flat for me, but like, you know, Ron Howard came through, and that's what, See? or vice versa. That, They'll be like, you know, I like the Lord Miller stuff. That so information I, I just shouldn't be widely spread. It should only be sent to a select variety of Star Wars fans that aren't jerks. <laughs> select variety Let named us in. Savannah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Um, yeah, I agree, though. There is it's a little cool. story on page 132 that I want to read because it's probably my all time favorite thing in this book. Um, Mm. So this is from a gentleman named Kyle Wetton, and he says, as the senior digital asset manager for Solo, one aspect of my job is providing reference to those on set so they know the look of what they're trying to achieve. One early morning, I was required to go down to the Millennium Falcon set to provide the on-set art director with concept art. With a lack of coffee in my system, I was quite tired when I arrived on set. As I looked around for the art director, I could hear someone singing at the top of their voice. In typical British fashion, I thought to myself, it's 7.30 a.m., mate. Calm down. Naturally, (laughs) my face also conveyed this message. 
As I looked up the ramp entrance of the Falcon with a look of disgust, I saw it was none other than Lando Calrissian himself looking straight back at me, <laughs> belting out the song lyrics. My face suddenly changed from distaste to shock to joy as I realized I was getting my own personal childish Gambino gig. Thank you, Donald, and sorry for the look. I love <laughs> that. I love that. It's so So funny. what do we think he was singing? Um, Probably a Millennium Falcon song. Yeah. Yeah, good idea. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, Theme song for the uh, Calrissian Chronicles. Ooh, there you go. Yeah. I love it. Uh, there's also so a photo good. on page 133 of Eunice who plays Chewbacca, mm. but there's another Chewbacca with him. And I'm like, who is this mm-hmm. guy? Like, right. Stunt, stunt guy? Stunt double. But what's his name? <laughs> That's like, what I'm saying. I mean, it, I feel Although, like it took know? a while for Eunice to really get the credit that he deserved um, because Peter Agreed. was really heavily involved in The Force Awakens as well, but Eunice did a lot of work, and it, I feel like he didn't really get the credit he deserved until Solo came out, really. Um, yeah, but I can agree with that. I want to know who this other guy is. Who's this other Chewbacca? Um, yeah, I don't know, because I know Ian White was a Chewie. Probably second double. favorite picture in the book on page 134 of the crew of the Falcon. Yeah. Um, yes. You know, half-dressed. without, yeah, half dressed. <laughs> and let me just say, I don't blame Lando for being attracted to L three because Phoebe Waller Bridge is <laughs> Look at her. something else. Her eyes cut out she in the green. <laughs> no, I meant just like her performance. Oh, I love. If you her. guys have seen Fleabag, she's hilarious and she's amazing. I yeah. think she's great. Yeah, it's just that photo is so funny because they look like they're exhausted, but they're trying to mm-hmm. keep it together and they're focused on something. Mm-hmm. So I love that we see Hans undershirt as short sleeve. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's really that's cool. a great thing about all these pictures in the Falcon set. It, it, there's like so much going on in so many of these pictures. There's just like they're having a meeting at the Dejeric table. Like that's cool. You know, <laughs> like <laughs> right? I want to sit at the Dejeric table and have a meeting. Um, yeah, so there's cool. a lot of photos too of the uh, projection method that they use to display uh, all the graphics that you see through the window of the Falcon cockpit, which I think they've talked about before. I can't remember where this was yeah. shared before, but it was in mm, Rob's panel. It's been in some video. Yeah. Though. But it's been in some magazine interviews yeah. and stuff even before yeah. the movie came out. Yeah. Yeah. So that's yeah. pretty neat. Unbelievable. But um, anyways, beautiful. I, wanted, I had something else marked. Oh, okay. So we eventually get to Savarine. And yeah. we get to see all of the detail that is involved in that set. Uh, and on page so cool. 147, there's a photo of Alden, um, Eunice, I believe maybe that's Woody Harrelson. I can't really tell. And Amelia. And Amelia is <laughs> on these like crutches. crutches. And I'm like, what the heck? And so in the caption, it just says that she had a leg inju- in- injury. So I'm not. 100% sure what happened there, but bless her heart. Riding like, dragons is risky, man. God, could you imagine yeah. walking on sand for like multiple days with an injured leg? And it's what hot. A badass. <laughs> She's so She's cool. incredible. Like she is, she is amazing. I Can agree. we have another quick Kira movie, please? Yes. Right. Oh my God. So we need a Kira movie and an Enfy's Nest movie. Or a series. Or just a series would be two great. more solo movies. Yeah. with all of them featured. Yeah. yeah. The um, the next page, page one forty eight, has a lot of photos of um Aaron Kellyman who plays Enfy's Nest, and it shows her heart. doing several of her own stunts. And at celebration, she talked about how in one of these stunts she 
kind of busted up her mouth, I guess, pretty bad. Uh Um, And you can see why, because she's jumping off a platform um, (laughs) with her staff. Uh But there are just some really beautiful portraits of all the different creatures that were on Savarine. Yeah, there are. Tons. I'm trying to think who. So, like, top left, the Rodian, that's Chess Lucas. On top right, that could be Aiden Cook, but I'm not sure. Because Two Tubes was Aiden Cook in Rogue One. Mm-hmm. The guy Is underneath that. Is that Benthic or Endero? I think that's... Because I know one of them's dead. That's point. true. That's true. Well, this this would be before Rogue One, wouldn't it? By a bit. Oh, you're right. right. Maybe. It's so easy for me to get confused. Anyways, go ahead. Same, especially to tell the, the egg twins apart. <laughs> and the guy underneath there in the red and whatever, that's Derek Arnold. That's the same guy that is six eyes. Mm-hmm. That's and a super, like, 1977 Star Wars alien, isn't it? So that this design is really cool because if I'm, I'm, I'm almost positive it was Jake Lunt Davies who uh, brought it to the table, but his, like, seven-year-old daughter drew that design. Oh, my gosh. He, yeah, so he, t- he went home to her and was like, hey, we're making some new aliens. Why don't you draw up a couple? And so she drew, like, a rough sketch of that. Then he refined it, brought it up, and it got picked for the movie. So his, like, seven-year-old daughter designed that alien. Pretty neat. And then I'm assuming that's probably still Se- Stephanie Silva on the bottom left there. Mm. And the guy on the right is who I want to be when I grow up. <laughs> um. <laughs> uh, awesome. So cool. God, Erin Kellyman is a straight-up goddess. I She's love right. her. Right? Savannah's met her. You I met know. her, too. <laughs> you were there. I'm glad I didn't meet her because I wouldn't be here today. She was I'd be dead. so chill. Like, I just expected her to be really kind of not snotty, but just kind of like busy. And she was just like, just having breakfast and chatting with people. It's <laughs> true. She was really Hanging with the mortals. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. She was For really real. sweet. It's neat. They have a lot of pictures of um, the equipment on set on Savarine, it's like all bundled up with tarps and stuff because the sand was so bad and they have like shipping cubes where they had to sit inside with their laptops and there's like tons of uh canned air so they can clean out their laptops and it's like you don't even think about that stuff about how right? the environment can like affect you i your... see a lot of ways it could go south yeah that's it's true and <laughs> supposedly that that set was like super windy yeah. So that was another thing they had to deal with. Yeah. I was thinking, too, I was thinking about this, like, recently when I was watching the Game of Thrones documentary, but um, I've never thought about wind and hair. Like, yep. the, the effects that the wind can have on hair or people are wearing wigs, and I just thought about, like, Chewbacca and how much his fur must have been completely messed mm-hmm. up and just literally drenched with sand i mean that had to be mm-hmm. terrible to deal with and super hot like there's a picture of him mm-hmm. sitting here on i think it's page 154 um with warwick davis and he's still got his mask on he's just chilling out but he's got mm-hmm. his mask on i'm like dude take that thing off like i know you're sweating um it's true it's true and there's a so, so what, okay. when, when is this gonna come out this episode um like this weekend Okay, cool. So it'll be out before then. So the latest episode of the Interesting Podcast is with a guy named Harley Durst. And he was Moloch. And he was a Mimbanese uh, in one of the Cloud Riders as well. And Mm. speaking of weather and unforeseen uh, hazards, he brought his kid to set, who's like a really, really young uh, girl. Mm -hmm. And supposedly the bulk of the the sandstorm that was like beating everybody was like up to waist high. 
and she's really small. Oh my god! So he talked about he brought her to set one day, and she just got pelted with sand oh all day. Oh my gosh! <laughs> Imagine how much like, that would burn I'm take your my skin to set. too. Like, I know. No just wonder they're beat. wearing long sleeves and pants and stuff. That's insane. Yeah, so it's crazy that like you know I'm gonna take her to a Star Wars set. It's gonna be great, and she just gets beaten Bless by sand heart. all day. Oh my gosh! <laughs> and then Tom yeah. and Derek said the same thing. They're like, "Oh, it's so sa- it's windy and just sand everywhere." Yeah, <laughs> but they suck it up and deal with it, and they probably don't complain because that's their job and they're professionals. They're professionals. Um, there's a uh, a few more photos on Savarine, and then they get into the Kessel set. Um, but I noticed on page 161 in um, one of the captions for a photo of Phil Lord with this um, like foam core model of the landing pad, they credit him as executive producer Phil Lord. And I believe that's like one of the first times in the book where he gets credited. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, we were talking about earlier, like the weird changes with the directors. And in most of this book, it's not really heavily discussed. Um, so it's just interesting to see how they credited him there um, yep. yeah I remember Ron Howard sharing pictures on Instagram mm-hmm. as soon as he got on set and I feel like the Kessel sequence was one of the first yeah. things he posted about yep so I wouldn't be surprised if that picture over on 160 mm-hmm. of him talking to Donald and Alden is sort of like a getting to know mm-hmm. you I love the picture. I love that picture because of the two young girls standing behind them. And I'm just like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, I bet those girls are like, holy cow, there's Donald Glover right there. Mm-hmm. And they're like, probably like production assistants trying to keep track of stuff and being helpful. Who's that old guy? <laughs> <laughs> but that's got to be really cool to be. I just can't imagine what it would be like to be that young and be involved in this stuff even Savannah, if you are that young no i'm not <laughs> i'm old now daniel no, she is not. i'm also not working old, on the set of star daniel. wars so it's all right uh yeah. it's just i think that's cool that you've got you know the two stars of the film with the director and these young girls are like oh my god this is our <laughs> life <laughs> hey brian on page 162 top left is that the same guy from Ro- rogue one it's the different character same species is that the yeah. same costume tweak uh probably looks yeah, so that's, similar that's a maroof or maroof from rogue one he had the giant mm-hmm. he was one of uh saw's rebels mm-hmm. played but played by ian white mm-hmm. but i'm not sure if ian white al- also played him in this because in a hilarious like... picture of phoebe waller bridge yep yep and her stunt double <laughs> so awesome. she just seems like she had so much fun on the entire set of this like production and every picture she just looks so thrilled it's true. I like so to see where the costume like comes apart to see like yeah. around her neck. Phoebe doesn't have it, but the snow double does. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It kind of goes all the way up, which is interesting. Yeah. It's just cool. There's a really uh, great set of pictures on page 166 and 167 um, of Ron Howard and John Kasdan looking at the Falcon. And then the next picture is uh, the main cast looking at some uh pre-visual stuff on a monitor but they just what are they watching because man yeah. look at their expressions yeah look at alden he's like what is happening yeah i'm trying to figure out where what part of the movie this would be in based on their costumes but i'm not i'm not sure maybe when l3 is dying oh maybe because they look like uh looks like what Kira's wearing when they arrive on castle yeah possibly yeah she's where she's wearing the coat she wore at fort ipso at the sabat game Oh, yeah, 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 never mind. Okay. Yeah, it's when they meet L3 and Lando. 
because mm-hmm. she's got the fur. Because when she gets on Kessel, she's got that really cool cape, the like red and white oh, thing. Well, if you go to the next picture, she's wearing the same coat thing, and they're uh, they're looking at the falcon. So maybe it was something from right after the Sabak game. Yeah. And she's got that little heat, old school heating pad. Yeah. Hot hot water. Yeah. Oh, uh, they're watching L three. Use her little uh, buzzsaw, yeah. maybe. Yeah. yeah. Like, what are we watching? Yeah. <laughs> That's, That's such a like awkward part of the movie. Me. Yeah. I can't do it while you're looking. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And yep, yep, yep. the next part of the book is mainly about um, Dryden Voss's yacht, and really there cool. are oh man, the the picture on page one seventy three is like frameable, like Vogue content here i mean that is such a great shot and i love how you can see the light coming through the windows and man those costumes are just like the headpieces are so cool i love the design of all the characters on the yacht they look so great um but it's neat to see that margo yeah margo is the best so cool um like lava skin hostess mm -hmm. that speaks big deal Mm -hmm. alien speaking more please god it's neat to see I'm gonna, I'm gonna get a shirt. how they created like the foam core model and the this there's a picture right next to it of the actual set and it's like man they uh-huh. they nailed it. <laughs> they totally it's nailed really it. Cool. And it's like an actual 360 set. Um but yeah, there's a lot of pictures of the backgrounds that they used too for shooting through the windows of the yacht, which I didn't even notice really a whole lot during those scenes because uh-huh. I was so busy looking at everything else. Um uh-huh. but a lot of work went into those shots as well. Mm-hmm. And man, yep. there's just so many great pictures here. It was also neat. They talked about on page 177 um, how they shot the fight sequence uh, with Kira and Dryden Voss and, and Han mm-hmm. um, with stunt doubles. And then they pasted their faces on um, uh, digitally. And then they did close up shots of the actual actors. But then they ended up doing a little bit more work, I think, than they anticipated because. I guess they just had time to to shoot a little bit more with the actors. So, um, and they have a little sequence later on in the book where they show how that face pasting works, which is mm-hmm. kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. Right. I love that picture of Chewie. Yeah, just I looking do too. out. I do too. That's yeah. really really cool. Would, I'd like that as a poster. I was gonna say that would be like a great is, desktop background. <laughs> I just yeah. realized is that window in uh kind of reflect the Crimson Dawn logo? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, it does. Yeah. Oh. Isn't that cool? Man, they got a lot of money. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and then the next page, 178, shows uh, the explosion of the dolomites that they had to recreate. Um, and they shot this at, on a camera that captures 25,000 frames per second. And it's just like a little hmm. blip. They filmed it underwater, and it's just like a tiny little blip. And they had to capture it. It's just... It's cool. He go. He, Rob goes into this on, at his panel. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm pretty sure it's on the YouTube channel. But he talks about like when this happened. Speaking of things that hadn't been done before, uh, that's what they asked him to do with this. They're like, "Coaxium's gonna explode on a mountain. We want to see an explosion we've never seen before. Mm-hmm. Go figure it out." And he's like, "What? Star Wars is like famous for its explosions. How are we gonna do this?" And he just found these two guys on YouTube that like blew up stuff for fun on high-speed cameras <laughs> and they put like a firecracker in a tank of water and he's like that's kind of cool so then he set up this rig at ilm did it a ton of times and then meshed them all together to create the effect yeah so he just randomly found people on youtube blowing up stuff he's like that's a good idea 
And then that became the explosion for Solo. Crazy. It's awesome. The the next page also features my fave, Lady Proxima. And they go into detail about, you know, how they did this and how the arms stopped working on set. Mm. And they had to end up creating those digitally later on. And there were Mm. performers in the water. But the following page, 181, is one of my favorites as well because it features... um, Rob's daughter Abigail and Mm -hmm. she talked about being on set in that scene and I guess there was a guy like a a young guy on set with her like a kid and he was like oh this is what I hate about Hollywood everything's not real and that guy down there isn't even the the real actor he's just the stand-in and she was like no that's that's Alden that's him and later on Alden walked by her and said hey Abby She's like, hey, Alden. And she just like grinned from ear to ear. And I'm like, dude, what a great moment of victory for that Boys girl. Boys are stupid. Boys are so stupid. I love that. There's a really Jeez. great picture of her too. She looks super cute. But so how do we get that guy off the set and then yeah. put me on yeah. it? Like, <laughs> I want to know how old he was too. It sounded like, you know, he was probably, probably a kid, I think. I mean... It was Phil Lord. <laughs> <laughs> it's not so much the age; it's the ungratefulness. Yeah, My God. it says that uh, it says uh, that he was a boy only a little bit older than her. So, Savannah, I want to get your takes on the pictures on both 184 and 185, please. I can't. <laughs> can't talk right now. I'll start crying. Here we go. Uh, Let's do it. Oh damn! I love this woman more than life itself. I just. Oh God. I lit- this is why I bought this book. You know, you want to know the real reason why I bought this book? Charlotte from Sky Talkers bought this book. And I said, Charlotte, send me a picture of every shot of Kathy Kennedy in the book. And she sent me every single picture of Kathy in the book. And I said, I'm ordering it right now. And I did. Five seconds later, I ordered she this did. book on Amazon. I got it. And 100%. I just love seeing her involvement. Like, obviously, she's not there every single moment on set. But she was there for a lot of really cool scenes. Um, and a lot of the captions talk about like what what they were discussing uh, when she was on set and a little bit of her involvement. And then later on in the book, she has um, a nice little nod to someone else that we're going to talk about. Um, but man, she is just a goddess. Like this woman. <laughs> Flawless. I love her. You're right. You're right. You're right. I love her. It's so funny, too. Oh, hang on. I just want to say something real quick. Earlier in the book, when they're on Savarine, there's a shot of her um, wearing a baseball cap and a jacket. And the hilarious thing is the baseball cap has the, uh, like, engineer logo for Project Stardust uh, for Rogue One. Rogue One. Literally two days before I bought this book and saw that picture, I ordered a shirt with that logo on it. And I was like, oh, my God, we're already in sync. (laughs) (laughs) We need to get you that hat. Yeah. I need that hat. Yeah. But anyways, go, yeah. Brian, go ahead, who, Daniel. Who Who's Katie Cartwheel, Brian? Katie Cartwheel is the actual performer for Rio. She mm. was there on set. You've got a great picture on 186. Uh, pictures, actually, because she's there with the practical suit. And then on top, she's against the wall rehearsing oh. the scene for oh. the camp scene. I didn't even um, notice her Katie's there. awesome. Yeah, because yeah, that's another thing that a lot of people... With the visual effects of Rio, they think he's a fully CG character, but mm-hmm. he's he actually was on set, played by Katie, who is a circus performer. So like when he's grabbing that bar and like flicking switches with his feet and stuff, Katie's actually doing that. Mm-hmm. Like like those were decisions she made, which was really cool. That's crazy. Um, I know, I know. Katie's awesome. 
Did you guys notice on page 190, there's a shot of Ron looking at like these monitors while they're filming and there's the little Disney infinity pieces of Chewie and Han on the desk. (laughs) I love it. It's so cute. Dude, you know, the next person that says something negative about this movie or any Star Wars movie, I'm just going to take this book and smack them with it. Yeah. This book is 80 pounds anyway. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's right. It's beautiful, though. And then on page 196, they get into the post-production part. Um, And so they really get into detail here about how all of the post-production processes happen and, like, who watches the earlier cuts, who watches the final cuts, who makes decisions and things like that. Um, And they they go through some of the um, concepts for the Kessel Run and how they wanted that to look and feel, how they animated the different, you know elements of that and brought everything together so that part of the book is super interesting but it's it's definitely got a lot more um uh images pulled straight from the computer rather than just photographs but it is really neat to see photographs of like the editing rooms and ron while he's reviewing the material and things like that um mm-hmm. but that picture on 196 is insane when you think about like who's in this photo on, you got John Caston, Robert O, Ron Howard, and John Favreau. Oh like, yeah! Can you imagine walking into a room and seeing those titans yeah. just like hanging out? Yeah. Hey, making a Star Wars movie. I mean, what? That is crazy. Like, there's moments in time when you look back and you're like, oh yeah, this was history in the making. Like, ima- imagine that. Yeah, it's nuts. That'd be crazy. Top uh, page one ninety nine, in the top right. You know, you've got. Uh, uh, John Kasdan, but then next to him is John Schwartz, who was mm-hmm. a producer of Rogue One. Yeah, as well. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, and it's neat was, to see who Solo is involved well. in like giving their opinions and stuff because he's in several of these photos while they're reviewing. The I'm actually kind of surprised mm-hmm. that I've not spotted Dave Filoni anywhere in this book. Yeah. Yeah. What's going? He's hiding. Yeah, That's I mean, he could have just been around for like one or two days, maybe, and then, you know, Rob didn't take any pictures of him. Yeah. It's true. This is not about the solo experience. It's about Rob's solo experience. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> which, yeah. <laughs> which didn't necessarily have uh, a felony in it. But that's okay. We know he was there in our hearts. Um, I want to jump just a little bit past some it. of the VFX stuff because um he does another little piece rob writes another little piece about somebody named beth diamato and she, yeah she's great she um did several interviews with him on the press tour so i watched mm-hmm. some of those but i just want to go through some of her credits so first of all she's a paint supervisor at ilm a lot of her earlier work was uncredited but I'm about to read a list of just a few of the movies that she worked on. So she was the assistant concept artist for Men in Black, Saving Private Ryan, and The Mummy. She was the digital paint and rotoscope artist for Episode 1, Episode 2, Episode 3, The Green Mile, Magnolia, Pearl Harbor, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, Signs, Hildago, War of the Worlds, and literally many more. She also worked on Rogue One. And... It's insane. It's insane. And I've never heard of this woman before, um, nor would I ever have understood like what her actual job was um, when they just said, you know, paint supervisor. But he goes into it a little bit more in the piece about her on 208. Um, but it's just so nice to have these little blurbs about people throughout the book. And there are several more. I only highlighted a few here um, just to dive into how important they are to 
the process of yes. making the film and she has worked on so many movies like that's insane um i know and she worked on the prequels like it's so neat to see these people like we said at the very beginning how dennis murin is still today working at ilm and this lady you know worked on the prequels and now she's working on new movies and it's just it's crazy but it's so neat to get to learn more about what they do um because you see these job titles and names while the credits roll very quickly at the end of a movie but you have zero context of how they contribute so it's just Mm. nice that he did feature uh some people i agree i love it um and then they talk about having to reshoot some things, doing additional photography. And I love the way they talk about this because it's just framed in a very positive light. This is normal. As everybody knows, reshoots happen all the time. Yes, they are stressful, but just because you have to reshoot stuff doesn't mean that it's bad. Um, yep. So it's nice that they actually covered that. Um, and there's a lot of photos of people getting back into the production meetings for um, reshoots. And then there's actually a picture on page, what page are we on here? It doesn't have a page number, but it's got to be like 215 maybe of Ron on set with um, Ray Park as Darth Maul, which is so yeah. cool. So cool. It's neat to see like the physical pictures of him since in the movie he's like portrayed through a hologram. So it's neat to see this photo. I agree. That's so awesome. But yeah. It is. There's a lot of really cool shots here of just the the Millennium Falcon set, Ron directing, and there's a shot on 218, a pretty wide shot of a lot of the crew members watching some of the, um, I think it's the the, trailer. Yeah, it's the trailer, uh, which is nuts because remember when this trailer came out, like they're watching it before it came out, but it was not a day before yeah it's like not very far in advance and the trailer didn't come out until like two months before the movie was released so um yeah God. real weird they they, <laughs> Would... they the 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 higher ups i think uh, my theories they just they're like just put it out or i guess yeah. i don't know it's... well i feel like maybe I, they didn't have all their that. ducks in a row to release a trailer yet based on things that were being changed from Lorda Miller's mm-hmm. view to Ron Howard's view. Like, it sounds like the falling out with Lorda Miller was because they wanted to be a lot more experimental and try things, but they didn't have the time and money to do that, which is why they had to get nixed out. And Ron Howard had, mm-hmm. uh, it seemed like he had more of a clear vision, but because uh, Lorda Miller had been on the set for so long, he had to go back and redo some things that they had shot or shoot additional things. Um, mm-hmm. And I just wonder, was the marketing delayed so much because the story wasn't even finalized. I mean, they show that John Kasdan was still writing part of the script when they're shooting scenes. Mm. Like that makes me nervous. Just looking at that. Mm. I can't imagine (laughs) how that makes you feel when you're working on the movie, you know? Yeah. But yeah. But with star Wars though, you can make trailers and not show anything and everyone will get really excited. Yeah. You know, it's like you don't have, but that's, that is the other thing is like, you know, eight came out in December solo five months later. So you don't want to, I, I I agree though. I but, think they should have started promoting it in like February, yeah. like mo- months ahead of time. As could have had to a like, trailer play with episode eight if they. I agree. If they'd done I, it right, but I agree. But because Ron Howard's a consummate was, professional. Well, and so. because there was so much criticism behind the scenes that was being shared with the public, it's like I don't really know if they could have done a subtle teaser trailer because people were already feeling nervous about this. 
you know, things were being leaked and rumors were being spread. I feel like they really did have to deliver a strong trailer or people would have been like, ooh, I don't know how I feel about this. That teaser trailer sucked. And, you know, we're hearing that they're reshooting stuff. So I don't know. Yeah, it's it's weird, <laughs> but I feel like they did what they could. And it kind of makes sense now that you see a little bit more of the behind the scenes here. Yeah, they deserve better. <laughs> the the people kind of, uh I don't know. Like I, I've talked to quite a few people that were like, I didn't even see it because all this stuff. I'm like, God, dude, I like there's that. such a narrative behind it because, mm-hmm. like, I mean that that's one thing I adore Solo. I think it's incredible, mm-hmm. like through and through. I think it is an amazing Star Wars movie. Uh-huh. But like that's one thing that I kind of miss about George Lucas was like he didn't care if anyone liked it or not mm-hmm. because it was his. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. So the fact that like you're saying we. That there needs to be a strong trailer to appease the fans. Like, I, I, who cares? Yeah. Like, <laughs> make a good movie. Who cares what the fans think? You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I understand in a corporate setting, you can't because it's supply and demand. This is a Disney company. Like, you've got to make money. It's way more business than a creative endeavor like it was with Lucas. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm like, dude, just make your stuff. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, the fact that the fans have to have an opinion on a director change or any of the behind the, or reshoots, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like... Don't even let us know that's going on. It's none of our business. Right. Show us the movie, and then when we see the movie, then we can have an opinion. But to make one beforehand and be like, I heard it was terrible, so I'm not going to watch it. Yeah. They switched mm-hmm. directors, you know. The the I mean, Rogue One is one of the best Star Wars movies ever made. Yeah. And I and you remember there's mm. like eight months Gosh. worth of like, it was reshot. Yeah. Look at this. It's going to be terrible. It's like it was so good, fans though. have no idea. You know, it's like, wait till you watch it first. Yeah. And then have an opinion. I do wish that Lucasfilm would stay a little more close-lipped with announcements so far out in advance. Like, I think announcing a Ryan Johnson trilogy and the D&D movies were just done. I think that was shared a little too early. And they announce writers left and right that get taken off of projects pretty quickly. So it would be nice if they would just kind of get into the working scenario with these people and then announce that they're on the project once they feel solid uh-huh. about it but i don't know if that'll ever change because there's just so yeah. much they need the hype to build and they need they need the press coverage but it is a little like weird when you're only seeing the outside perspective of it and you have no idea what's going on but it also doesn't matter so <laughs> anyways um but i want i'd rather just not hear yeah. about it I wanted to talk about something on page 220. So um, I'm sure if you were involved in reading all of those articles about the production of Solo, you probably read Mm -hmm. that producer Allison Shearmer passed away while they were making the movie. And to be completely honest, I had never heard of her before. Like, Uh I didn't know who she was. And I still didn't know who she was until I read this book. Like, I... I didn't realize how important she was. So Allison worked on a handful of really important movies. She's worked on the live-action Cinderella, Hunger Games trilogy, Power Rangers, Rogue One, and then now Solo. And she fought a very private battle with lung cancer while they were making this movie, and very few people knew about it. And unfortunately, she passed away um, tragically, when they were making the movie and she was only 54 years old. But um, I just wanted to talk about her because Kathy wrote a really sweet um, like page about her on 220 and talked about like the friendship that they had, how dedicated she was to her job, how, um, you know, why she didn't want people to know that she was battling with cancer. Like she didn't want that to be the thing that everybody was focused on. She just wanted to go to work and do her job. And she did like, she worked until, you know, until she, you know, lost that battle with cancer. 
Um, so I thought it was really cool that they talked about her so much and included so many different photos of her on set. Like there's a lot of photos of her here in different meetings and talking with Kathy and Ron, but there's also a picture of her on set. I believe it's, um, on set for Savarine. She's got big goggles on, I'm sure, because of the sand. But mm. it's just important for people like this to be featured because when that article came out announcing like that she had passed away, I was like, I don't know who this is. Why don't I know who this is? Why don't we know these mm. people, you know? Um, and I still hadn't really understood her role in the making of the film um, because there are so many different types of producers. I didn't understand really who she was. Um, until I read this so I just thought it was really sweet that they talked about her um, and you know she had she was married she had children they um, they were there in London while while she was working on the film um, so anyways it's just sweet to know who she is and who this movie was dedicated to because I feel like there wasn't enough um, information about that prior to this book so I agree um, that was really sweet. And then they get into some a few more photos uh, towards the end of the book, and they interview one of the senior model, model, modelers at ILM. They talk about the creation of L3. They show a lot of photos of the hollow chest table uh, with Phil Tippett, which is really cool. Phil Tippett. Uh, Mm-hmm. what a dude yeah you're right though he doesn't. like doesn't smile <laughs> nope he does never smiles he's he's made like look at him on the set looking at like chess pieces that he just recreated and look at the again. guy next he's to like, him he's like at least given a little little smile yeah that guy's like cool i'm with phil tippett phil tippett's like yeah yeah i'm just like i work again <laughs> yeah he just oh phil yeah and then <laughs> he's the best then they talk about um the effects that they did on dryden voss's face because i remember hearing oh, that like yeah, that wasn't yes. makeup that was added later on and it's haunting yeah that top right it's picture. Gross. There's, like a, <laughs> there's like a shot here of basically if you skinned his face and laid out his skin flat on a table like it's disgusting but it's so it's so crazy. gross um, and it's neat to hear about how they created those different scars and like how they intensify and why they were created. Because uh, I, I don't know. I just assumed that because Doctor Evazon. <laughs> because Doctor yep. Evazon, yeah. Uh, it's just weird to see that. Uh, but when you're watching the movie, you think it's like makeup or something because it looks so good. I can't watch Avengers the same way anymore after this movie because every time, you know, Vision's saying something, I'm like. Yeah, it's Dryden. It's Dryden Moss. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. Yeah, and then then they also show like uh, how they composite the shots together with the scenes that they shot um, at the Dolomites with what they shot in studio on blue screen of the train heist sequence. And I didn't really understand until uh, reading this book either how intense it was to shoot the train heist sequence. There was a um, a rig of the train. I think it weighed like 5,000 pounds or maybe it was like way more than that. I could be off, but it mm-hmm. weighed a ton um, and, and it rotated and stuff. And that's just so the actors could be on it and perform like for one scene. <laughs> so crazy. Insane. Um, and then we get to see pictures of Skywalker ranch, which mm. I feel yeah. like we will all be there one day. Somehow we will get invited to Skywalker ranch and get to see. That's right. The beauty um one day one day it's gonna happen but um tell your friends yeah (laughs) it's cool though it looks so pretty it really does one day 
One day. It's gonna happen. We'll get there. The Dorky Diva Show will make an appearance. Yep. Um, and then we'll cry. And then they show um, a, a really large picture on page 248 and 249 of Ron Howard and Rob doing like a Q&A um, and doing a little, I guess, a screening for the um, ILM crew. So you can see the room mm-hmm. of all the people that worked on the movie um, and Rob and Ron are on stage and then um, at the end of the book Rob talks about you know the people that helped contribute to this book um, what it means to him how it was created and that's when he starts talking about Kathy for being really supportive of the idea he talks about the cameras he used on set um, and he also mentions that in total he took uh, 23,953 photos Good God. Dude, I want to know how you organize your pictures. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but it's it's crazy because when I got this book, I expected it to be like 99% pictures. And it is a lot of pictures, but there's so much information that we still totally breezed over. But I highly recommend getting it. And it's just stunning. I hope he gets to do books like this for any future Star Wars movies that he works on. Hmm. I agree. Yeah, he definitely uh, set a bar and raised it with this book. Um, I was unaware of its uh, existence until Savannah invited me on the show this week. I think it was Saturday night, maybe? Yeah. She was like, hey, have you read this book? And I was like, no. She's like, oh, I'm so disappointed in you. I'm sending you one. I'm like, why? I didn't say that. She's like, because I need you to talk about it this week on the podcast. I was like... I'm on it. Yeah. So I got to page 46, but now I got to read the rest. Yeah. It's, there's so many good tidbits. There was, I was also doing some research on Rob Bredow after I read it and I found an interview um, that he did and I wanted to share this quote that I just think is so great. And he said, I think it's easy for us to forget that we learn more from things that don't work than when we learn from our successes, which I think speaks volumes to this production and just to like the legacy of Lucasfilm in general, because, you know, this production wasn't perfect, but it almost needed to be that way because they learned from it. And that's just going to continue to make them better. And that's the case in life for everybody like you need your failures you need your mistakes to become better and I just think it's really cool that he talked about that because it kind of just jabs the people that want to make fun of this movie for all of its (laughs) issues and it's like well take that like it's still great and they learn from it and this is going to continue to make Star Wars even better than it is agreed amen good stuff man I just I love this book so much. I'm glad we got to talk about it. Um, and I hope everybody goes out and buys it because it is beautiful. And like I said, I'm probably going to be getting a second copy just so I can like cut out some of the pages and frame them. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> Rob, I'm going to cut up your book. He's like, that's fine. Just buy another one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Now I want to go watch the movie again. Yeah. Right. I think I'm going to. I'm probably going to watch it today. Instead of going to work today. Which yeah. Don't go to work. That's dumb. It is dumb. <laughs> So tired. Um, Before we wrap up, I want to say real quick, um, Brian and I did a giveaway uh, on our last show for an ILM crew hat that was very generously donated to us from um, Kevin Yost. And the best. we announced the winner on Twitter, but I just wanted to mention it here too. Ben Riggis, uh, he won yeah. the hat and it is, 
it is on its way to him. He'll probably have it by the time this episode comes out. Uh, but I just want to say thank you to everyone who entered. And thank you so much to Kevin who let us do a giveaway with that hat. That was really, really awesome. Um, but, Daniel, where can people find mm. you online? Don't look for me. I'm hiding. No. Um, <laughs> yeah, you can't. When I'm not tweeting about <laughs> basketball, I am tweeting about Star Wars on the Twitter at the D Bear. It's T H E D double E B E A R. The D Bear. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm, I talk on the Force Cast. Yeah, I was gonna say, where can people yeah, find that do. podcast? <laughs> like the biggest <laughs> yeah. Star Wars podcast so, ever. <laughs> I love it. No, uh, but it's cool. <laughs> yes. Me and Ryan talk about Star Wars. Every week, you just go to forcecast.net, um, and then from there, you can find uh, everything. Or if you want to get your news, you can also go to theforce.net and yes. find a link to the podcast there as well. So theforce.net or forcecast.net, uh, either one of those will take you to my podcast. And Ryan is starting to put together plans to do a audio documentary on the history of lucas arts so and the video games that. Created. can't wait yeah so you guys have already done um an audio drama about uh it was dramatic yes and <laughs> animation <laughs> and um star tours and they were both really amazing but i also just have to say daniel uh every time i listen to the forest cast i am waiting and listening very closely for your song parody for that show that's the highlight mm, yep. of the podcast. So if you want to listen, well, to I put it at the beginning so you can just listen to that and then stop listening. That's so. No, no. <laughs> I listen to it and then I go back and I'm like, I want to hear that again. Aww. Your episode one song was incredible. Um. So yeah. Anyways, guys, go listen to the. Oh, Force is that cast. the uh, my boo? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Um, Daniel, thank you so much for joining us. This was really fun. Savannah, yeah, thank was. you for having so me, happy Brian. To have you. Thank you for joining and reading the book. Yes. <laughs> uh, Brian, where can people find you online? Well, uh, that's a good question. Uh, you can find me online at Jedi Brian everywhere. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all that good stuff. Uh, check out the interesting podcast where podcasts can be found literally pretty much everywhere. Um, just search Brian Balance. That seems to be the easiest way to find it. Balance with two L's. Uh, I talked to a lot of people who worked on this movie. So, you know, if you want to hear some stories from creature performers, that's where you go. Um, where can people find you? You can find me everywhere at The Dorky Diva. My website is thedorkydiva.com. If you want to follow the show on Twitter, you can do that at Dorky Diva Show. Um, if you want to send us an email, you can do that at dorkydivashow at gmail.com, and we will answer any of your questions on the podcast. If you would like to support us, you can do that on Patreon at patreon.com slash thedorkydiva. Um, and Whoop. we want to send a very special thank you to all of our patrons. We've gained a few new members to the Patreon squad since celebration. So we want to thank all those people and that would be Anthony, Ben, Brandon, Brian, Chris, Daz, Dan, Daryl, Devin, Jared, Jen Marie, JC, Jim, Katie, Michael, Samir, Shuri, Sherry, and Tom. Thank you all so much for your support. Um, You guys are awesome and we adore you. Um, And thanks again, Daniel, for joining us. This was just the best. We will have to have Ryan on someday as well so we can have the whole force cast crew on the dorky diva sure. show yes. how about Lindsay? oh my god yes, yes Lindsay. Yes, we will have yes, an entire yes. show just about Lindsay. that will be the topic and we're going to talk about her nails <laughs> and we're going to talk about your amazing cats and we're just going to talk about how beautiful she is 
So all of it. Mm, I'm down for that. Um, and mm. eventually one day, Daniel, when I move back to Florida, we're gonna have a pool party at your house. I've decided. Just so oh, you know, he wants to move to Seattle. So <laughs> no, yeah, do no, that. no, 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 don't do that. Don't move here. <laughs> it sucks. Um, <laughs> until next time, though, may the force be with you. And Godspeed, rebels. For Jetta. <laughs>